0: Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. All right, what's up, everyone? Thanks for dropping in to another episode here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dan Claps. Dan is currently the co-founder and CEO of Voda Cleaning and Restoration, uh, an up-and-coming franchise brand. Uh, and, and Dan's got a, a long history of working in the franchise industry. So a lot of, uh, experience leading up to the point where, you know, he's now on the franchisor side, leading the charge with, uh, building a new brand. So with all of that, Dan, thanks so much for being here, man.
1: Yeah, Wes, I appreciate you having me. Uh, I'm a listener, so I've listened to probably 12 or 13 a year podcast episodes. So I'm excited now to be to chat with
0: you. Yeah man, likewise. Uh and I appreciate you listening and you know we should should tell people too, uh you do a po- a podcast as well, co-host a podcast. So um I think that's the the Franchise Founders podcast. Um and uh I've listened to that over the years as well and uh you guys do a great job and yeah, we were kind of talking offline, you know, we've we've been in kind of the same circles in franchising for a number of years now, but never really had much of a chance to talk one-on-one like this. So uh we know a lot of the same people. I, I think you're like me where you got into franchising pretty early in your career. Um earlier than than a lot of people do. Um so uh yeah probably a lot in common in that regard but uh really nice to have some some one-on-one time like this. Absolutely. So I want to, you know, obviously highlight this this new brand that you guys are, are building out, Voda Cleaning and Restoration. But, you know, before we go there, share a little bit with the audience that that may not be familiar with you. You know, what are some of the things that you've done in franchising prior to, you know, launching a brand as a franchisor? Because I think it'll give some good context to, you know, why you're the right guy to, to really be at the helm of an up and coming brand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, as you know, most people don't go to college, or I think in high school they're going to be in franchising. No, you know, I always like to think about. I wonder where my life will be ten years from now. Because even two years ago, if you told me that I was the CEO of a restoration company nationally, um, I would laugh at you. That it seems so far fetched. Um, yeah. But you yeah. know, the journey here has been. Uh, because of franchising, I've been in the space 10 years. Yep. Um, and, you know, never really looked, I've only known this industry. I got in like pretty much out of college age. And so um, I love it. I don't know anything else to compare it to. So friends of mine sometimes joke around with me in other industries um, about how everyone here knows each other, but um, I love it.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a very tight knit community. And, you know, most people, did kind of fall into it backwards. It wasn't what they set out, you know, wanting to do because it's it's not really talked about. Like I went to business school and I don't think the word franchise was ever mentioned in business school, you know. Um, but once people get into it, they do usually stay. And and it is such a tight knit community and, and everyone kind of knows each other. But it's also real always been really interesting to me how how people are willing to collaborate and help each other, even though you know, technically you may be helping a competitor, right? Like you guys are out there selling restoration franchises. Like there's a lot of other brands out there that are competing for the same type of franchisees. So, you know, you could view all of those brands as competitors of yours. And in a sense they are, but you know, I would imagine you've spent a lot of time talking to other founders and CEOs of brands and and learning from them. And, you know, they're willing to share advice and, and you know, maybe resources and and vice versa. So it's always been really interesting to me. And, and you know, I think you're a really good example of how franchising can open so many different types of doors. Because um, I, I mean, my wife and I talk about this all the time where we're like, I mean, look at where we were f- Five years ago, you know, we were just getting into our first franchise as franchisees. I'd been in franchising for a while at that point, but you know, now we own two brands and and I have a consulting business. And, you know, it it is fun to think about, you know, what the next five to 10 years will will hold because I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for almost exponential growth, you know, when you're in an industry like franchising. So, what uh? What was it that got you started in franchising? Like, what was your first uh, kind of foray into franchising?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry if you heard a little phone ring. I just put my phone on. Oh, Do not I, disturb. I didn't even hear. <laughs> it. Um. Yeah. So I, I I got my start in business. Uh, I was I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was the kid selling baseball cards, lacrosse balls, lemonade stand. (laughs) Um, I may or may not have sold some bourbon out of the basement thinking my dad forgot about it. Yeah, It was actually a special occasion, but uh, anything I could turn money, uh, nothing into money or uh, fascinated me. I remember when I was like, maybe like 14, um, I think that's the age you're allowed to work 14 or 15. I was working at the YMCA as a swim instructor and I made consistent money there. But when I made money out of nothing, like out of, out of air, even if it took double the time, I yeah. was fascinated by that. Yeah. Uh, so, in, you know what I mean?
0: You're yeah, probably the totally. same way. Yeah, totally. It's it's like you're creating the the money or the income versus showing up to do something that you knew ahead of time was going to get you X amount of money. It's it's a different different mindset, I think.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So creating money or or business out of nowhere always fascinated me. And in college, I had a a small staffing business that made me some money. um, Hmm. And I went to sell that business and um, because I didn't want to do it anymore. And I learned a valuable lesson, which was that not only could I not sell the business, I couldn't pay you money to take the business because (laughs) it really wasn't a business. It was a job that no one would want to have.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and so in college, I you know, at a young age, I, I learned that lesson, and I felt like I missed out on a lot of fun. I, I had fun, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but I was working so hard at something that had no value. And so, um, in my early twenties, my my dad actually said, "Why don't you look at franchise opportunities?" And you know, I thought that that was interesting, and so I, I started looking at opportunities. I looked at home services because. Um, when I was eighteen, I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners for a bit.
0: Okay, yeah, you know those. Oh yeah. So
1: kind of funny. It's a floor cleaning product, and you know you would shampoo people's r- rug for free, a little bit of their rug. Yeah, and you then do you the would demo. Sell them the vacuum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, home services is all about sales and marketing. I think I could do okay at that, and it was a lower investment. Um. Anyway, as I'm looking at opportunities, I talk with franchise consultants and. Uh, one of them, and I felt like I just felt like that was something I could be good at. and I ended up deciding that really loved exploring franchises. Why don't I become a consultant and then, you know, down the road i can I can buy my franchise. So I did that um although I was part of a franchise for business brokers, and f- the focus was more on business brokers, and I didn't really realize that at first when I joined the system,
0: yeah. So what's the difference for for those listening? What's the difference? Because I find sometimes people get confused on this or they think they're the same. What's the difference between a franchise consultant and and a business broker?
1: Yeah, so again, this franchise had both, but their focus was more on business brokers. A business broker is someone that lists, like a realtor, lists a existing business with going financials and helps people buy you know, helps people sell that business and people buy that business.
0: Yeah. Franchise or not.
1: Franchise or not. But what happened was for whatever reason in New Jersey, where I'm from, I somehow became the resale guy. So I was listing a retro fitness, a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, and what happened was I would have a buyer look at a resale opportunity for a franchise, not be able to buy it because something wouldn't work out. Yeah, And I would say, well, maybe you should look at a new franchise with this brand, new a new territory. yeah. um and I quickly realized that in my this is my opinion, I know it's not fact, but I believe ninety percent of the time buying a new franchise territory is a much better investment long term than a resale.
0: I totally agree. and and I have to have that conversation fairly often with people that I'm working with because you know you get people that that come to the table and and they want an existing business. And it makes sense, right? Because that w- what people are looking for is cash flow. They're looking for more certainty. I think you know what scares most people when it comes to the the idea of going into business for themselves is not the long-term viability of it, it's the ramp up. And can I survive the ramp up? Can I get this thing to the point where, you know, it's generating income and and especially if the the prospect of leaving a job with income and benefits and and going into something brand new and then you know starting at zero and and trying to build it back up i think that's the the roadblock that stops so many people so you get a lot of people that think hey well why don't i just get into something existing and look people do buy and sell businesses all the time and there's g- going to be great resell opportunities out there with franchises but you know, there's also a lot of resale opportunities that are that are garbage, you know, and you're probably going to overpay for what you're getting and you're going to almost have to dig out of a hole that the previous owners created. Whereas, you know, if you come in, start something from from scratch in terms of a new franchise, you get to build it your way from day one instead of having to go back and potentially fix things. So I, I agree. Um, you know, there's there's certainly going to be instances where it makes sense, but uh, it's a lot harder to find the right deal um, for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's what I learned about buying a business too. It, you know, everything you said, plus um, the landlord and the business, the landlord would stop the deal yeah. and the lawyer of the landlord. And then, um, you know, I would find that the seller, actually, I'll never forget this. I remember going home one like Thanksgiving. And I was hanging out with my family and they said, how's it going being a business broker? And I said, you know, if you told me people were ready to write a check for $2 million, that's not my problem. It's the seller won't take the check.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause
1: they decide last minute, you know, maybe I don't want to sell, let's raise the price. Maybe yep. they used me to just kind of get an idea of what their business was worth.
0: Yeah. Everyone thinks their business is, is worth more than it, than it really is. Or, or most business owners do.
1: I'm the testament to it. My business was worth zero and I couldn't even pay anyone. <laughs> so, so, so with, with, with that franchise system, they were great. And um, through their as a, as a part of their system, you had a membership to a broker network, franchise consultant network. Yeah. And so over time I started to feel like I really wanted to focus on what I originally thought was franchise consulting was more of a fit for me. And so I started doing that. Um, and I was, I was successful, um, two things happened. One, I looked in the mirror and realized you're doing the same thing. If you're not on the phone, you don't have any business, and I really wanted to build something I could scale. Yeah. And two, quite frankly, I was in my early 20s and not that I wasn't, it was an uphill battle, not having the life experience. Yeah. And I always try to go downstream when I can. I like things to be not that I don't want to work hard, but I want to go with the current,
0: yeah, not against for sure. it.
1: <laughs> so for sure. I I decided that, you know, maybe it was time to look at something else. And at that time, really lead generation is a skill of mine, running call centers and building up sales and marketing machines. And um, my previous partner at that time was um, thinking about starting a lead generation business. And mm-hmm. so um, I'll never forget the franchise. The one thing they didn't do, they're a great organization, but the franchise I was a part of, they didn't do any lead gen. Mm-hmm. And I always remember thinking if I was ever a franchisor, I would I would make sure I focused on lead gen for the franchisees. So I left. I went on to start a lead generation company in 2016 and then pretty much grew that until last year until I sold it to P and and started Voda.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, a a lot of, I think, kind of diverse experience that's that's put you now in the position to really know what you need to do as a franchisor I mean you've been a franchisee you know as a consultant and and even a business broker and then with your lead generation company you know I know you worked with a lot of different franchisors and so you know kind of like me you get to really you know see behind the the curtain of how a lot of these franchisors operate you know and and we hear a lot of feedback in terms of you know how the franchisees uh, with all of these different brands are doing, and the type of support and stuff. So I think you can learn a lot from that. A lot, you know, what to do. Like with your example of, hey, if I if I were ever to to be a franchisor, like I'm going to help my franchisees with with lead generation. Um, you also learn a lot of what not to do, right? What what franchisees are not going to appreciate. Um, so that kind of brings us to to this year. You know, you you exited your your lead generation company and and call center, and did did you know going into that 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 you wanted to become a franchisor next, or when did you when did you kind of figure out that that was the direction that you wanted to to go in?
1: Yeah. Well. The lead generation business for seven years, my entire focus every single day was how to make more leads from every type of way you could think of, whether that was Google, Facebook, call center, LinkedIn, email, anything you could think of. I've been to every lead gen conference. I've watched every Russell Brunson yeah. you know, video. And <laughs> He's got a new book and... out. That, I haven't read that yet, but I'll add it to my Supposedly, uh, my
0: it's his last secret that he's been holding out from everyone all <laughs> of these years, the last one and then he's done he's done i guess
1: yeah so you know that was my entire like life was was making leads and quite frankly lead generation whether you're in franchising restoration or you know selling pools it's all the same you know um you know methodologies and so i built that business and to answer your question um because i was in the lead generation space in franchising um i had a lot of access to people founders of brands and consultants and CEOs. And uh, maybe I could even argue that I thought I was cooler than I was because I realized looking back, I was everybody's friend because I could get them leads.
0: Yeah. Um, It's a good friend to have.
1: (laughs) Um, No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, there was a lot of conferences and I was fortunate to be involved with someone, you know, my previous partner, very successful in franchising who had a lot of access to, to information. And so, I was just over my entire 20s, I would hear about a brand growing too quickly. I'd hear Mm -hmm. about them not hiring the right COO. I'd hear about, you know, everything you could think of about franchisors making a mistake. And so for like almost 10 years, I've been in this space and I was collecting all that information. Um, Yes, I think everybody dreams of being a franchisor when you see these giant companies. But I don't think it was like this. I'm gonna do that. It was more of like a pipe dream type mm-hmm. of idea. Yeah. Um, and and really what happened was I exited my previous business and in a lot of ways I, um, because we had so many product offerings, in a lot of ways, I kind of sold myself out of my core competency, meaning I sold my business, but then all of a sudden really, because of you know, obviously restrictive covenants, yeah, I couldn't do what I did in the past, which I totally get. But I put myself in a position of like, what's next? I gotta branch out. And that's how being a franchisor kind of kinda happened, to be candid.
0: So so then how did you land on restoration as as the industry that you wanted to to go into?
1: Well, I, I realized I wanted to be a franchisor. And first thing was um I, I felt like I knew what to do to do it different than anyone else, but I also quickly Uh, humbly realized I didn't know anything about being a franchisor Uh, (laughs) from a practical day-to-day standpoint. I knew theory and what I learned, but it's not the same. And so first thing, I was at a Springboard Franchise Conference Mm -hmm. and um, fortunate that Zach Nolte, who is our COO and co-founder, was there. And we've always been buddies chatting at events. And um, it's ironic the year prior um, I look up to to, to Josh Golnick and Horsepower and everything they do. And you know, the year prior, him and I were sitting in a Springboard conference together, watching uh, uh, Josh and Zach talk about Horsepower. And you know, really, I, I loved what they were doing. And that was the year prior, not knowing that like we would end up partnering up. So yeah, anyway,
0: it's crazy.
1: One year later, we start chatting. Zach talks about, you know, I'm really trying to maybe make a move. I'm the president of kitchen solvers. I'm doing well. Um, but I really want to build something from scratch. And so his background has been running franchise organizations in the home service space. He had like 70 locations open in his previous brand increased AUV by 166%. So everything that I'm not good at, he's good at and vice versa.
0: Yeah, it's perfect.
1: So we partnered up, we had this vision of what we wanted to do. And, um, yeah, how do we get in restoration? Um, we started looking at industries, west. We looked at painting and roofing and plumbing and everything in home services. And one day I said, let's stop thinking about the industry. Let's take a piece of paper um, and let's write exactly what we want out of a business. Mm. And quite frankly, becoming a franchisor is the same decision tree as like buying a franchise unit.
0: That's what I was just thinking, yeah.
1: Same thing. And Similar so process. we almost the same process, you know? So we were just like, all right, we want recession proof. We both had been affected by recessions in our previous businesses, uh, or at least, you know, I guess recession resistant. Um, We wanted a need, not a want. Uh, A big one for us was non-skilled labor. Like Mm -hmm. you don't need a license to do the work. Mm -hmm. Those two things, if you want a need, not a want and non-licensed labor, you ruled out almost everything. Yeah, <laughs> restoration just kind of screamed out at us, um, and we loved it. It was a growing industry. Um, I actually was fortunate. I've I've awarded probably, or not not me awarded, but I was on the consultant side. I probably sold seventy restoration units through my previous company. Um, so I called up previous people who worked with me, and I asked them. And when I called people who bought other businesses, and I called people who bought restoration. Restoration was the most consistent, like this is going great, Dan.
0: Yeah. It's, it's been one of the most consistent industries. Uh, I mean, for probably the last 30, 40 years and definitely, you know, far less volatile, you know, to what's going on in the economy and, and, you know, recession or not. And, and, you know, hundred percent needs driven. Yeah.
1: And again, you know, not something you first think of, um, I'm now a a total geek with restoration. I was at the gym this morning listening to my restoration podcast. Uh, (laughs) uh, No one wakes up excited about it. But what I I will tell you, we like that it was a growing industry. We like that there's 14,000 water incidences a day in America, not just hurricanes, but like pipes breaking and toilets overflowing. Um, The only thing we didn't like about restoration was one thing. Unless I come to your house and sneak a hose through your window and like start flooding it, I can't persuade you to dry your house if it's not wet, yeah, or your business, yeah. and so we didn't like that if there is a week or two or month where there's no weather events or excuse me, flooding events or icebreaking, et cetera, there's no
0: business, yeah, there's no lever that you can pull on to open the faucet up to to drive more business. it's It is reliant on the event happening and creating that need.
1: I like your choice of faucet.
0: Yeah, you see what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands my whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors owning franchises myself and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well so if any of this sounds interesting if you've considered business ownership in the past whether you've explored franchising specifically or not i'd love to connect with you i'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if i may be in a position to help a great starting point is the link below in the show notes which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that i've put together the seven steps to freedom through franchise ownership that'll also get us connected and i'd love to set up an introductory call where i can explain a little bit more about the process that i use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you.
1: Yes. Right. Whereas with, so what we found was when we, when we found Voda um, it's a really cool story, man. I, um I was looking at this we took to like hundred restoration companies and I got referred to this, This gentleman in Northern Virginia, his name is Dragon. He's from Serbia. And someone said, you got to go meet Dragon. So I live in New York City. I said, let me take my car. I'll drive down, four hours drive, give or take. We'll have lunch, see the facility, and I'll shoot back same day, like in and out. And quite frankly, I really wasn't thinking anything of it. I was meeting a lot of people kind of just uncovering stones. Um, So I drive down and I'll never forget. I almost didn't drive down because I was, again, it was like a lot of different businesses but I was on the phone with Dragon, and he said something. He was doing something that didn't sound like it was a, a great thing, but he's just so positive. Like, he was going through something, and he just – very positive attitude, which was refreshing. And so we meet. We have lunch. And uh, have you ever seen the movie The Founder with Michael Keaton?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know the scene where he, like, has dinner with them in early in, and then the next day he's outside, like, a crazy guy in front of their car? Yeah. Franchise. That how was me. You- I, I, went, I went to lunch. I saw the facility. I didn't go home. We went to dinner. I was like, dude, you, this is an amazing business. I think we could take this nationally.
0: So what was it that got you so excited after seeing it, seeing the facility, learning a little bit more about how he was running his restoration business?
1: Yeah. Three things. One, the systems. They had every single number dialed in, scoreboards and analytics and procedures on whiteboards, you know, every truck wouldn't go out until it was checked every day. Oil checked, tire checked. And I said, why do you do that? They have to really check the tires every day. So it teaches discipline. They have to do this yeah. and this and this and this. When they go to the home, they do this, this, this and this. And so structure. Number two, um, I saw a team of people who were like, when the day was over, a lot of times home service, they run out of there. These guys wanted to be there. They loved the company, the culture. Um, and then, Reviews. I re- I remember one night being you know, up till late at night reading reviews. There's two thousand of them. They're all the same review, you know, like excellent service, five stars. Um, and quite frankly, the story. Dragon moved in here from Serbia. You know, I, I don't think I fully under like appreciated what that means until I started to think about. Imagine you or I moving to Serbia. Yeah. We don't speak the language and starting a business.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. It's it's nuts. I mean, you got to have massive amount of respect for people that have done that and, and had any level of success. So, so was he, so he was just running this in Northern Virginia when, when you met him, was he thinking about franchising? Was he looking to sell the business? Like how did, how did that come about um, in terms of, you know, you guys, I, I assume reaching an agreement where, you know, he's still, runs his business in Northern Virginia is like is he still involved or or what does that look like
1: yeah so the vision of of being a national franchise brand was definitely something that was a dream of, of his and is a dream of his and uh but the knowledge of how expensive and challenging and the chance of success you know it and and quite frankly the distraction away from the core business um was was the the hindrance for him to do it or not yeah. and so um you know he's a you know an owner in in, in uh in, in Corporate with us uh, after he made the acquisition, he's still involved and an amazing founder, advisor, um, you know, anticipate curveballs. I mean, he's done it for 14 years. Yeah. And so um he really thrives and is a his superpower is training. So my team is able to not only award the franchises and do everything related to getting them open and successful. But when it comes to training, he can do the one thing he's best at and loves doing all day long. Instead of doing 10 other things, he does one thing, which is what he's best at and what he loves doing. So I try to do that with everybody in the team.
0: So it sounds to me that, you know, the, the three partners, you know, at the top of Voda, you guys really complement each other. Really well, because you've got you and and you know Nolte, who's you know run a bunch of franchise brands and and managed locations. So you know maybe on the operational side and and driving revenue growth and performance for franchisees, that's kind of his forte. You know, you're more of the visionary, growing the brand, and then you've got the original founder, who's the industry expert. You know, superpower is training. Got the the procedures and processes already in place. I mean that that right there is such a good combination, and in my opinion, de-risks. Uh, you know, never never going to entirely de-risk any business opportunity, but but greatly de-risks. You know what what most people would usually view as a pretty risky proposition to invest early in an emerging franchise brand. And you know, you mentioned horsepower before, very similar to to their playbook, right? Go find a business in an industry that you know we see opportunity in. Go find a business that's doing it right, that's got a good foundation that you know we can plug into. And and for you know Dragon, the founder, smart of him in my opinion, to to partner with guys like you that have the franchise experience because it is very difficult for Anyone that that's not ever been involved in franchising to successfully franchise their business, it's a very hard transition for most people to make to from going to being the owner. Where you may know everything there is to know about that business and have you know all of your your processes in place, but you know there's still a lot that you don't know when it comes to franchising. So, just wanted to point that out. I mean, to me, that's that's one of the biggest things I look at at any emerging brand that, that comes across my desk is who's the leadership team. What's their background And I love it when I see, you know, experienced franchise people, but also, you know, someone that's an industry expert, um, you know, kind of partnered together.
1: No. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. You know, one of the things that I learned um, I have a lot of respect for the, the PE firm that bought, our previous business. And I remember thinking, like, how do these guys come in and run businesses they know nothing about? Um, and what I learned when I because I, I did work there for a few months as part of my transition, what I learned was they bring in really smart people, and they tie them to the business profitability and potential exit in the future. Um, and then they also bring in a person like I was running, in, you know, I was looking at the I was like the controller, I was the sales manager, I was this in the operations, they bring in one person to be the controller, one person yeah. to manage sales, um, and so I, I took that methodology when Zach and I were, you know, structuring Voda. We 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 created an org chart that we have currently a year ago, um, and what we've we've really done is we've we've decentralized command. So you've got Zach who's leads operations, um, you've got uh, Dragon who's the founder and and the strategy and, and and really great um, advisor, and then you've and, and head trainer. Um, And then you've got our CMO, Christian Bettencourt um, who came from anytime fitness. I was imagining like a $50 million a year ad budget for franchisees. And so, you know, he was at a stage in his career where, you know, he's done well, but he hasn't done his thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So me, Zach and him all had to risk, leave other opportunities, jump into this. And so, They all have those guys, as well as um, our franchise development director, Steve Miller, um, are all, you know, have equity in our organization. And so we all have it's it's really a company that's run by four people on the leadership team. And I actually have no no real department that I make some call. That's like, you know, I don't believe in a makeshift leadership team. In other words, if Mm -hmm. I'm if I have a COO and a CMO, I can't then start pulling strings behind the scenes, you know. So, yeah. We're big on like if it's marketing veto power goes to the CMO and if it's ops and development, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think that's smart. And, and you know, it's it's cool to hear that you guys were putting so much thought into the org chart, you know, a year ago, because let's give let's give the listeners a little context. Right. So we're we're recording this in what late October 23 when did when did you guys launch the the franchise business when did you guys start offering franchises for Voda?
1: yes yeah, so we we acquired VOTA in February we rebranded uh to VOTA in in March and we can talk about that in March uh started franchising in April um but we really we didn't start getting candidates until really July um because it yeah. took some time to get some you know traction sure um as of today, we're at twenty uh, twenty-two territories, fourteen franchise owners, and we'll be at 30 units into next week. Um, and yes, to your point, it's it's because the leadership team is there already.
0: Yeah, that's huge. Um, congrats on the the early success. I mean, it's it's tough to to get off to that good of a start. And I know we were talking, you know, offline that, you know, you feel like you've got some some really strong franchisees, you know, in the mix early, which is which is obviously critical. So um, I'm being conscious of the time and I want to make sure that, you know, listeners get a sense of, you know, what the Voda business actually is. And, you know, look, one of the elephants in the room for for, you know, anyone listening that knows much about franchising and you've already kind of pointed out that, you know, restoration is is a great industry for all of these different reasons. There's also quite a few very large, very established companies in the restoration space. You know, some of them are franchises. A lot of them are franchises. So, you know, and I think you've alluded to this once or twice, um, you know, when you were talking about the, the one or one of the problems with restoration is you can't do anything to drive more business. You're kind of waiting on the need to arise and them to come to you. So, I'm curious, does that play into maybe how you guys are doing things a little bit differently? Um, I'm thinking about the name, you know, cleaning and restoration. So, you know, how are you guys, I guess, differentiating yourselves in the market uh, compared to, you know, some of the other big restoration companies that are out there and have been around for a long time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great question because a lot of people ask it when they're looking at Voda. Um, You know, the first thing I'll say is, you know, um, just on that org chart, after we built that team, we went out and we started bringing in the brightest minds in restoration. So our VP of operations, he was part of Advantage Clean and Service Master Corporate. Our success coach, who used to work uh, with him, was part of other large restoration brands and 20 years in restoration. And we continue to recruit more and more restoration people. I don't know a brand that has nine people on the support team with. Fourteen franchise owners, like yeah. in a lot of ways, we're the waiter that keeps coming to your table too many times, asking if you're okay, and you're like, yeah. "Dude, uh, let me have my yeah. dinner." Yeah,
0: uh,
1: and we'll continue, we'll continue to, you know, to do that. But you know, we invested you know, several millions of dollars into like the infrastructure to make sure we could support the anticipated rapid growth that we're, we're seeing. But um, what really makes Voted different was, to my point earlier, was the only thing Zach and I didn't like about restoration was the fact that if There's no business, you know, there's no business. And what we loved about Voda was that they do we do cleaning and restoration, which cleaning meaning floor cleaning, which is carpet, tile, upholstery, and air duct cleaning, is all within that cleaning category. And so what happens is we're the only franchise to offer both. And so a franchise owner really gets two business models and one, two revenue streams in one. But it's not like we're talking about you know, painting and restoration, we're talking about cleaning which is a very big lead source for restoration and 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 vice versa they complement each other
0: totally and i imagine a lot of the equipment is usable on both sides pretty easy to cross train employees on both so it's not like you're having to at least probably in the beginning run two separate like divisions it's hey let's let's get in the door because this person is looking for good cleaners we do a good job if they have a need for restoration services down the road is a no brainer of who they're going to call as long as they know that that you guys do that. And and vice versa, you know, you come in, you do a great job for someone in a time of need, you know, with the restoration services, um, going to be a no brainer for them to hire you for for cleaning. So, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting and, and a smart differentiator. Because I, you know, I, I have this conversation with people all the time. I think a lot of times people, you know, they're looking at franchises and they want they want to find something that's like totally revolutionary, right? And and patented or proprietary. And it's like sometimes the the best businesses are just in an industry where you know they're not necessarily doing anything revolutionary. They've just identified you know some gaps in the market they've identified some white space and they figured out how to solve for that but you know it's not like they've reinvented the industry necessarily and to me you know that's what it feels like you guys are doing with Voda where you know you identified this big gap which is hey we're kind of just waiting for opportunities to come in and it is needs driven so when they arise people don't have any choice but to find someone to solve it for them but How can we also put ourselves in a situation where we're proactively able to go out and generate business? And and I think that's uh, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate it. You know, it's it's interesting. Like people think about you know this. Well, I'm convinced everyone thinks five things when they want to buy a franchise, and it's one: how do I get customers? Obviously, and how's the franchise going to help me? Two: how do I get employees to service those customers? And how's the franchise going to help me get employees? Three uh there's already a restoration company in my market. So how does this stand out kind of to this this conversation we're having? Four, obviously what are the numbers? What can I make? And then five, what's the day in the life and of the owner and and does that match, you know, what I'm looking to do. And for us, we're definitely looking for executives. We're not looking for really clean floors. Yeah. Um, but but what I'd say on the on the unique selling proposition or how we stand out to the consumer, first thing I'll say is restoration is a extremely fragmented and large industry to put it in perspective serve pro probably does about three billion dollars in restoration and if you add commercial and residential it's about a 300 billion dollar industry and so a very fractional amount is serve pro and service master and large companies we're really competing with the mom and pops yeah that are less sophisticated and organized and so How we stand out is two things. Number one, quite frankly, when you have a water incident, if your house flooded or your business uh, had an incident or mold, um, you're going to go to Google is one place. You're going to Google my house flooded and you're going to call and whoever pops up to the top and whoever answers the phone, you're probably going to go with as long as they're polite and you know, answer the phone. You're not going to shop around. And for that reason, we have a national call center that's open 24 seven answers the phone. Extremely quickly. I don't think we're ever going to lose a call to the competitor because we answer so quickly. Yeah. Secondarily, because of our marketing backgrounds, um, many of us on the team and our focus on lead generation, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I call us a lead generation company that happens to sell restoration. We have ways to do lead gen where people are because remember, it's not like um, I'm thinking about cleaning my carpets. Well, that that side's a little bit different, but with restoration and mold, you are actively solving that today.
0: Yeah, Yeah, there's no waiting around thinking about it. No,
1: and so because of the way we do lead generation, we have people coming in that actually are a lead. They're not a click, they're not a website visit. They are a lead that we paid maybe a little more money for, but we make so much revenue on the job that it's okay that your acquisition costs is a little higher through paid media. Yep. um and and so lead generation is a focus for us the call centers a focus and then take it a few steps further we do all the bookkeeping for our franchise owners um they get a clean p&l every month good um we have data and the only reason we do that as much as you know it helps our franchise owners i hate doing my books i don't think you want to do your books
0: not a good use Sales of people
1: time. no right they should be outselling and so yeah, we do the bookkeeping, but the reason we do it is that data feeds into our analytics platform, which is called Scoreboard, because everything we do is a football analogy, and uh, Scoreboard is uh, you know, honestly everything we do is uh, is an analogy to football some some way or another. I love uh, it. So anyway, finish what I'm saying is that you know we do the lead gen, we do the call center, we do the the bookkeeping and the analytics, all of that, so we can train and support as much as possible by able to
0: see that, you know, metrics. Yeah. I mean, out of the two franchises we own, one of the brands does a really good job of, you know, giving us consistent benchmarks. Right. And it's because we all have the same bookkeeping process. Right. And so we have very, very clear data that we can look at at any given time to say, Hey, this is where we stack up in, in this metric. Right. And this is where, you know, we've got opportunity to get better, right? I could look at it and say, "Hey, looks like my labor cost is, you know, five percent higher than it should be." Here's here's a list of the owners that really have that dialed in in their business. Maybe I give them a call and pick their brain a little bit to see, you know, what they're doing to keep their their labor cost at a lower percentage. Um, and then we have another brand that doesn't do a great job of that because they have kind of said, you know, look, we don't really want you as the franchise owner doing your books, but you know, here's three or four companies that we've kind of vetted that, that will do a good job with your books, you know, pick one of them. And so it's not consistent across the board. And I love that you guys have your own analytics program that everything's feeding into love the name scoreboard. And now you've got me curious what other football analogies you guys are, are throwing around over there. But, um, yeah, it's it's so important and and I think another good example of where just all the stuff you've learned over the years like you knew ahead of time this is something we need to have in place for the franchisees a lot of franchisors don't figure that out until they're three four five years in
1: yeah I mean and again it's 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 having the leadership team that you know we're able to take what they may be one of the lines we when we bring, we're about to we were looking at bringing in a um a restoration executive on the sales side of the business. And, you know, I just recently met with him and I asked him the same, to do the same exercise I ask everyone to do, which is please go home and write down everything you would have done differently in your system. Cause you know, once you start a system, you can't change things it's like moving the Titanic, you know, but yeah. you know, we're just fortunate to be able to know what kind of, and listen, I'm not saying we're not going to make mistakes for an emerging brand. Um, I tell people when they get an emerging brand like ours, you're going to get the best territory. You're going to get access to the leadership team. But more importantly than anything, I think, maybe not more important than anything, but life's not just about making money, right? Like you want to enjoy it. And I think being part of something on the ground level is exciting. We're going to make some mistakes, but we are going to we're going to correct them together as quickly as as possible.
0: Yeah, I think uh, uh, everything you mentioned of why emerging brands can make sense is spot on and and I think there's absolutely something to the fact that uh, like I was talking to a candidate the other day that's looking at uh, a very emerging brand and then a couple of more established brands and he came back to me and he's like, "Wes, emerging Speaks to me so much more. He's like, it just feels more entrepreneurial. And he's like, that's what I want. Not everyone's going to want that. And that's not going to be the right fit for everyone. But it's an important thing to think about as you're evaluating options and, and apps, especially if it's a service business. I think in general, service based businesses compared to brick and mortar. Business models give you a chance to be a little more entrepreneurial because there's usually going to be more ways that you can go out and and drive the business and grow the business and there's just usually more moving parts and pieces. But um, you know, especially um, emerging. But love the foundation that you guys have laid. I'm, I'm kind of watching the clock. I know you've got a, a hard stop coming up here. So you know, real quickly, just just kind of final words. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. You know, 22 territories across 14 franchisees, tons of territory, you know, wide open. You're looking for business builders, you know, not not necessarily someone that's coming out of the restoration industry and wants to, you know, work on the the van and, you know, really do the the front line work themselves. You're looking for business people, you know, that really want to scale a business. What else do you want to make sure the audience hears and knows about Voda um, that maybe we haven't had a chance to touch on yet? Yeah,
1: I appreciate the question. I think that, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you're, you know, you're a fan of Wes's, like, it never hurts to look at brands. Um, You might uncover something. I tell people all the time, you know, you can look at a brand and, you might learn what you don't want and that's fine. And then you'll know what you do want. Um, totally. I'm probably the worst salesman in the world saying this, but what I tell people, and I mean it is if you're not going to look at Voda, then look at restoration, like the industry itself, whether it's a more established brand or something emerging. Um, I don't think you can go wrong in, in, in any home service space, but especially a need-based like restoration or other verticals like it. Um, you know, it's, don't get caught up in um, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. I live uh, I live in New York City, and I live in a an area where everyone's either a banker or private equity or lawyer, and uh, I run around in the vo- vo- polo all the time. Don't get caught up in this idea of like it's not sexy. You're yes. not in the business anyway, and growing a team is sexy. Making money is sexy. You know, selling is can be sexy. So you know, it's a it's an executive model home services. Don't think like you're going to be you know. Moving paintbrushes around houses or
0: something. Yeah, that's such good advice, and like I, I feel so fortunate that that I learned that early on and and took that type of advice to to heart. Because I mean, the franchises we own are, are home service too, and I I grew up in in home service franchising. The brands I've worked for all in that space, and never in my life did I think we would own these types of businesses, but. You know, it's been amazing for us and it's it's changed our life in a huge way and um, really appreciate, you know, what you guys are doing with Voda to uh, create opportunities for, you know, other aspiring entrepreneurs to, to build something for themselves. So uh, we'll put links to, you know, Dan's uh, LinkedIn, Voda's website, um, you know, anything else that you want to point people towards. Uh, all of that will be in the show notes for people to check out. So. Uh, With that, Dan Claps, thank you so much, man. Keep up the great work and uh, appreciate you dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at 2 frdmcom Thanks again. Now go drop in.